You're now locked into Zone 32. Grant Durflinger, Jake Miller. Only on NitroZoneInfraction.com. NZI Properties. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Welcome to another edition of the Zone 32 podcast. Presented to you as always by NZI Properties. Follow us on Twitter at our new handle at Infraction. My name is Jake. His name is Grant. We've been gone for a minute. Say what's up to the people. Just in case you forget, we're back. We're informative and we're ready to party. Listen, video is coming soon. We got some things working on the way. New release hey. coming up. We got some things going on at the end zone. Mike could have a surprise for y'all come draft night. So be on the lookout for some. Yep. Cool the off it may be the off season, but that doesn't mean we stop. We keep going. That's just what we do. Anywho, we got some things to get into. Your favorite team, my favorite team, the Baltimore Ravens, have finally made a couple moves in this offseason. They brought back a couple players on defense. They re-signed Derek Wolf for a three-year, $12 million deal. They re-signed Tyus Bowser for, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was a four-year, 24 mil, something along yeah, those lines. I yeah, I think it broke, yeah. I forget the guaranteed dollars, and they won't see the end of that contract, but that's neither here nor there. I ain't here to talk economics of the league with you. But anyway, they brought back a couple players. They lost a couple players because doggone Judon is with the Patriots now. He got overpaid, but that's that's none of my business. Get your money, big dog. Give us that third-round comp, motherfuckers. <laughs> yep. that Yannick Ngakwe goes to the Raiders on a two-year, $26 million deal. Good on you, sir. Trade didn't quite work out for us, but you know, could be worse. It's all good. He'll probably flourish in Oakland. Actually, no, he ain't go. He won't flourish in Oakland because they're in Las Vegas. I keep forgetting that because I'm a Northern California resident. Damn it! But, it's cool because I'm always gonna call the Chargers San Diego. So I mean, it's I kind of do call them Oakland still sometimes too. Yeah, and not to mention San Diego's three hours away from LA, so they're still in the same region. They're still a SoCal team, but anyway. We may have lost those players. We brought some players over, too. Right before free agency that morning, we signed Kevin Zeitler, formerly of the New York Giants, released by the team before free agency began, to a three-year, $22 million deal. He's coming over to fill the void left by Marshall Yonda from a year ago after he retired after the 2019 season. Then we finally made a move at receiver after... Kenny Galladay got re- got signed by the Giants to Buku Bucks after Allen Robinson got franchise tagged after Juju decided to stay in Pittsburgh, which is foolish of him. He should have went to Kansas City. The hell's wrong with you? Going to stay play with Noodle Law and Rapisburger? That's stupid. Going to be a bot- more likely going to be a bottom feeder team in the AFC North. Yeah, we'll argue that on another day. But there's that. Then, of course, T.Y. Hilton decides to stay for $10 million, eight guaranteed by the Colts. Good on you. I always liked him as a, I always liked him as a player, but again, I would not like our starting receivers to be 5'10 or below, all three of them. But, I mean, that's just me. So, anywho, we finally made a move at wide receiver. We, the Ravens, have signed Sammy Watkins to a one-year, $6 million deal five of which are fully guaranteed, and the extra million to make it six is incentive-based. So, Grant, give me your thoughts on the Ravens' offseason so far. I mean, I'm, I'm happy where we're at, but I think there's a long way to go. You know, I mean, you know, beggars can't be choosers. It's a competitive market. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a hard year to sign free agents because you got guys that are only wanting one year deal but if you're playing it from a managerial standpoint looking for different types of contracts maneuvering it your way to help fluctuate your cap 
on a down cap year, these players don't want two, three-year deals. They only want one year, hit it with a prove it, hit free agency again in 2022. Then you got a new situation cooking where they can get an extra signing bonus, you know, who, whatever the contract is. Um, Zeitler trade right out, or the Zeitler signing right out the gate. I think that we thought that, oh crap, here we go. We're about to take off this off season because it happened so quick. But other than that, I mean, you know, I thought the Ravens really jugged their feet. I mean, I think they missed some opportunities, but once again, it could have came down to contractual length and things like that. Um, Sammy Watkins, I think is formidable. I mean, I was never one of the ones that was against him coming there, but I was against him coming there to be the man because he's not the man. But I think he's going to be formidable in the offense. I think he does the things that we missed last year with those gritty third down catches, first downs, um, driving the field, you know, those tough catches that we didn't have. He comes back to the football. I mean, I argued the entire season last year how frustrated I was that whenever a play breaks down, you have a guy like Lamar who, if it does break down with an injured offensive line, he's going to break out of the pocket, scramble drill is engaged. Our receivers just stand there, you know, and not all the time, but, you know, I'd say 85% of the time it felt like. But, you know, Sammy Watkins is really good about that veteran kind of aspect to the game and the receiving core of finding a hole, you know, using his body as leverage on, you know, a position, whether if he's sitting on a route or working outside to inside, whatever he's manipulating on that following the quarterback. I think he adds that, but I think there is something else that needs to be done, whether it's A-B, wink, wink, or whether it is, you know, drafting somebody in rounds one and two. But the way that the needs fluctuate, I mean, if you look at the depth of the receivers, if you look at the depth of the rushers, if you look at the depth of the interior offensive linemen, this is a draft where Ravens are basically playing with house money. I mean, you know, you got a first round, second round, two thirds. So you're sitting there with a deep prospect at each one of those rounds. You could trade back and stack picks to be able to trade back up and maneuver where you want to be. So I really like where they're at right now, but I think that they're not done. Well, I hope they're not done. Um, Sammy Watkins, I believe, is going to be great. I, you know, I do like the signing. Um, I joked and put something up about how you know all the people that we missed on, but it wasn't really that the Ravens were missing; is that the money just wasn't aligning. You know, maybe situational value wasn't there. Some guys want numbers over winning, so I mean, it is what it is. You know, you can't knock somebody for wanting to feed their family, but at the same time, don't bitch about wanting to go to a winner if that's what you're going to do. So, you know, all in all. I'm happy. I am happy. I mean, minimal moves, you know, bringing the guys back that I wanted to bring back. Um, Yannick was the only one that we didn't bring back so far that I thought we were going to bring back just as trading a third, you know, the way that we value picks. But I think the David Coley comp pick offset that a little bit in the minds of the Ravens front office as that, you know, they are losing the third, but technically they're not. So, and he got paid handsomely out in Vegas. So, you know, I mean, all in all, you know, there, there is a lot to, to be happy about. And I, th I think that they're not done. And, Bring on Melvin Ingram. Bring him on. Bring him on. And then maybe save a little bit of money and bring on Cooker. And then we can just shoot into your offensive line and receiver the first two rounds. Add another third round pass rusher. Then we go corner depth and, and, and maybe fourth round, fifth round. Then you start talking about luxury picks at the end. And that's where EDC kills it is that fourth through sixth round. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to what this offseason does. Draft is going to be bonkers. I don't think anybody knows where anybody's going to go or what moves are going to be made just because of the upcoming seasons, future cap. You know, because the cap is so, going to go up so much from the TV deal, teams are going to be trying to jump in the first round to get those players on that fifth-year option with the 2020, the 2022 potential cap increase. No doubt, and you hit the nail on the head. Signing Sammy Watkins, it's a fine move, but it can't be the only move because – through his history, he's played a 16-game regular season once, and 
he's had a thousand yard season once, and that wasn't in the sixteen game regular season. So I mean, he's a fine complimentary player. He's definitely not a receiver one, but he should, if he's healthy, he should be able to take advantage of whatever attention defenses are throwing at old Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown. I ain't yeah. calling Hollywood yet. They say playoff time, but nonetheless, he should be able to take advantage of that. And also, like you said. He's very effective on the scramble drill. He runs and he comes open. You've seen him connect with Patrick Mahomes a boatload of times back when he was in Kansas City. So I like that. Kevin Zeitler I really like, too. He was always a very solid guard that didn't get a lot of recognition. I believe he's gritty. He fits what we like in a right guard. Yes, he does. Absolutely. He got signed off on by a really good right guard that we really like a lot. Yep, that, that corn-fed boy from Iowa, he signed yeah. off on the move and convinced him to come over. So, I mean, if he's good with it, I'm good with it for sure. Yeah. And, and, to, and to go back to the Sammy Watkins thing, too, like you said, you know, like what we both have actually said is he doesn't have to be the man, but it's a good signing. I would be completely happy, which I think he would, with 700 yards and seven touchdowns, which I think is is, is something very capable of him. But it's, it's what he opens up in the middle for Mark Andrews that makes it even more of a value signing that a lot of fans won't look into. Because when Mark Andrews is the sole guy on third down on the inside of that field – on the mid, you know, the mid range of the field, you're looking at somebody else that's going to come in. And then you have the game plan for that person, so it's not always one sided because the way that they align on the defensive side of the ball, if they know they're favoring Mark Andrews, they're going to go a two thirds side of the field. They're going to run different coverages on each side to be able to blanket because they know where he's going. You can't do that now with somebody else that's really talented on third down and those really gritty situations. Exactly, you you hit the nail on the head. And to go back about those receivers not running to cut him open, just kind of standing when Lamar's car is scrambling, that takes me immediately back to that play in New England in the rain where Belichick drops nine into coverage and he has to run for 10 yards to get the first down. Everyone's just fucking standing there. But we can, we can I digress on that. I'm glad we re-signed Derek Wolf. The Monstars are still intact. That defensive line's still intact. Big Baby's still there, so... The run defense should still be fine. Not to mention, you still get, you bring back Pernell McPhee on a one-year deal. Very good as an edge as an edge setter in the run game. He was very good at that last year, and he put on a clinic against the Tennessee Titans. He was a big part of why Derrick Henry didn't even rush for twenty yards, if I remember right. So I'm gl- I'm good with that. Bowser's extremely versatile, and had we lost him, I would have been in on his Hassan Reddick. But I mean, he, we we. Didn't let Tyus go. He's coming back, coming off a career year. So I'm like, hey, scheme versatility. He can drop off. He can cover. He can rush the passer. All in all, I'm good with that. It's not an A-plus offseason, but that's that being said, historically the great teams don't win the offseason by going out and signing everybody, looking at you, Belichick, pulling a Daniel Snyder, signing all those players that he did. But either way, I thought we were going to bring back Yannick as well, but hey, Godspeed. Good on you going to the Raiders. That was something I didn't even think about because Gus Bradley taking over as their DC. I forgot Yannick played for him his rookie year in Jacksonville. Yeah. So that was a big reason why I was linking Mel oh, yeah. to the Raiders for as long as I was. But now that he's not, like you said, and we'll get on to the next segment. And I'm going to get on to the next segment by doing this. Yes, bring me Melvin Ingram or Justin Houston. Bring me Malik Hooker. I mean, if we land Trevor Ma- Trav- Trayvon Maring in the draft instead, I'm good with that because the way he plays, he's aggressive in the run support. He comes and hits you. He's great in the deep third. 
he makes plays in the ball, all in all, because with safeties, he kind of they want you to be able to do everything. Play the run. Go hop in some Richie Grant tape. I have a man crush on him more than anything. He's my safety one. That dude, the way he plays the game of football, oh man, dude, Richie Grant's something else. And I love Morig too. Like I think he's a very talented player. But like when I put their stuff side by side, man, Richie Grant it like brings a whole nother edge because he's like that center fielding safety. But he's also got that leadership on the back end. Like he's like he's not cocky, but he's confident, and he will knock you out. He's like DJ Swearinger with a brain. So like I mean. And 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 he's just got that edge, like that that Ravens kind of edge to him. But like to even like go back a little bit, at, um, what you said, what you were saying about you know with Derek Wolf and everything. You know, as we talked about before, we both said Brandon Williams is not going to play this year on that fourteen million cap hit. So that was it. You know, I mean, and and it's nice to see him and Calais do that, extend a little bit, be with a little to keep the monsters together. Um, but you know, you know, I'm on the Melvin Ingram train. I mentioned a little bit a couple minutes ago, you know, he's, he's my guy. Like I talked to, to you before this, you know, the way that he plays, if he's healthy, the way that he plays and the way that he would play as a rush edge on this defense is it fits every strength he has. And he, there's no way he wouldn't have 15 sacks. I would, I would estimate if we sign him, he would have 15 sacks this year, and that's on a healthy full season. And that's not just trying to overshoot or say anything, but the way that he plays, and then you put in those three monsters, you got Wolf, Campbell, and Williams. They, they clog so much of the line that you can't double him because then what are you going to do, single Calais? Like, you can't. And then you still have the backside. So though everything is going to align. I mean, I just think it makes too much sense. Malik Hooker, big fan of his. He's battled injuries too. So he's your prime example of a one-year deal. You can one-year minimum him just like you just did Sammy Watkins. You know, like a six six million six million a year deal with five million guaranteed. That would be formidable for a safety too, as long as, as well as a Sammy Watkins positional wide receiver. But I mean, I just think you with what we have left, I think after the Watkins signing, we have, what, 18 or 17 or something? Because his cap hit's not big because his guaranteed is 5 mil, but then you got to put in signing bonus too. So I'm not sure what his exact cap hit is, but even then, I think you could legitimately get Melvin Ingram and Malik Hooker and still have probably 3 to 4 mil left in the cap. No doubt, no doubt. Actually, I could take a look at that and tell you exactly how much cap space yeah we have 17 million in cap money right now after the walk-in signing yeah so five year for hooker or five five million a year for hooker that takes you to 12 and then eight for ingram that's 13 yeah. and leaves you four million left so that and then you can re then you can maneuver because you need what six for the for the uh for the rookies yeah something along those lines so I mean, you can you can maneuver that absolutely because there's still other people that can extend. I mean, Marlow can. I mean, he just signed last year, but he can reduce the cap hit by I think it was uh, somewhere between four and five. So I mean, th- it can be done. Yeah, no doubt, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I'm definitely on the Malik Hooker train. He's again, he's an injury prone receiver, not receiver, but safety, but. Again, with those kind of players, you take a one-year chance on them, see if they yeah. can make something out of themselves. And I still think back to that interception he had against Phil Rivers. Yeah, the covering, one-handed. Yeah, covering that much ground to get in front of Keenan Allen and catch it with one hand and take it out the end zone. I was sitting there like, oh, my 
But think think about how much his game complements Joker's though too, because Joker can play back end, but he's more formidable when he's inside fifteen yards. So when you can mask coverages with your two, one, and three, with the ability that Malik Hooker can sideline to sideline, like he's not the fastest guy, but he legit is the epitome of that center fielding safety, which I love a free safety that is a center fielding safety because you take away so much on the outside that it alleviates what you have to do on the inside. And I mean, he was a high, I wanted, when he was in the draft, I wanted the Ravens to get him bad. Like I wanted, he was one of my top guys that I wanted the Ravens. It was him and Ruben Foster. I'm pretty sure that was the year. The year we got Marlowe. Yeah, it was that year. Yeah, because I wanted Malik Hooker because I was like, dude, this guy's insane. His tape, he was covering three-fourths of the field and intercepting the ball on the sidelines. It's like, what are you doing, dude? But, like, I think that it, that's that's just a no-brainer signing to me. I just think that EDC is trying to figure out what's going on because the safety market's low right now, and, and there's so many good safeties in this draft. I mean, you look – I'm in love with James Wiggins out of Cincinnati who's a projected – three through five rounder and the, what he does and commands on the back end of a defense controls a line of scrimmage plays up in the box can cover like all those things. Like uh, what's his name? The uh, from Florida state. I mean, he's saying, I mean, the, the Cisco, Cisco, Cisco is actually my number two. And and that's the, once again, that's not on Morag, but my number one is Richie Grant. My number two, Cisco, my number three is more, but I mean, the, the, there's just so much safety class. That, for a guy that like Hooker that has a he hasn't played a full season he's been the injuries flashed in the pan whatever EDC you gotta go get him dude just make a move whatever it is just at least see what it is there's no way you're spending more than six to your point about Andre Cisco that man will knock Jesus into you that man hits hard he's ran that whole defense as an yeah. ACC fan I've watched North Carolina play them they've given North Carolina fits. And what he does on the back end of a defense is insane. I mean, he had, I think, two picks off Sam Howell last year or whatnot. But then they have Trill Williams, too, who's a very underrated big physical corner. So, I mean, they've had guys on the back end, too. Most definitely. Yes, sir. Absolutely. But, yes, we'll move on. The draft is, if I'm not mistaken, 31, 32 days from now. April 29th. You can watch it on, I'm sure, probably ABC, ESPN, NFL Network. Or if you want to find a stream, Godspeed. I say salute to you, sir, because to hell with paying for these damn and streaming services or cable. But that's not that, that's none of my business. But anyway, Grant, I'll ask you, who are your favorite players overall in this draft? Obviously, we've talked about Gregory Rousseau. That dude's a grown-ass man that couldn't be handled inside. He was a matchup problem the way they used him as a freshman. Jalen Phillips can play. Hey, he's a good player. And you got Quiddy Pay, who's coming out from Michigan. Who they they used they moved him around along that defensive line, but primarily he was used against the left tackle. So just for edge rushers coming in, you got to see him as best against the best, as opposed to just constantly moving him around to find the shit the shit lineman on the line. Yeah, I mean, I so I like Quiddy Pay. I mean, everybody knows that I'm on on the Russo train. I mean, I think that what his ceiling is, yeah, he's still raw. I will 100% admit that. But the intangibles he has, the length that he has, and what he can do on the defensive front, I mean, the guys, if he would have played this year, like I said before, he would have been a top five pick, and we wouldn't even be talking about it. But Quiddy Pay, I like him a lot. And speaking of the whole Melvin Ingram thing, he reminds me a lot of Mel- Melvin Ingram coming out of South Carolina. 
the way he uses his body strength leverage he's a more undersized guy he's not one of your big long edge rushers but he he maneuvers has great balance to the ground you know he's, he 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 can dip rip you know spin inside he, he's not going to be somebody that i think he could make an impact an immediate impact and and when i say that and so, I mean, there's guys there. I mean, you see the combine superstars at Penn State, like Owa, or what, how you would say it, Owe, Owa, I think it's Owa. But, um, you know, he ran, sit there and ran a, what, a 4-3 something at, <laughs> as a defensive end. But I don't get hyped up into the underwear Olympics. I mean, it's impressive. What hypes me is when I see the big guys run impressive times because that just shows uh, sustainability. It shows endurance. When you got a 300-pound guy that can run a sub-540, you're like, what? To me, that's more impressive than anybody running a 4-2. Um, and fucking moving at that. Moving, I mean, to move that much weight for forty yards, and I mean, it's it's a lot to it. And plus, you have to look at these. The combine's completely different now. It's very favorable to each team. Each team's holding their own combine. We've all seen it throughout the years. You know, they always run the best times when they run their home combine. They always run the best numbers. You know, everything is is they're the superstar coming out. But and there's a reason the NFL combines first and the pro days are second. So, I mean, these pro days you could take with a grain of salt. You can take the combine with a grain of salt, but tape doesn't lie. Film doesn't lie. Analytics don't lie. Um, you know, the the way that you have to watch and, and go into it is, is that you have to understand what schematics fit your team. You can find the most phenomenal superhero that plays defensive end, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't fit a three, four Sam or whatever, you know, you're, it's pointless. It's useless. Like, and that's the problem and the difference between poverty teams and actual legit NFL teams that draft and, and are competitors every year is you have to understand your numbers and you have to understand what you are doing and what you're trying to do and where you're trying to be as an offense, defense, special teams, whatever it is, coaching philosophy, it doesn't matter. But when you're taking a guy because ESPN tells you, oh, man, this guy's great, and he's sitting there on the board, how dare you not take him? When you fall into that trap, you're falling into the media trap of vulnerability, and you're not doing anything for yourself, and you'll be finding a new GM job in two years, which we all see every year. And to that point, I mean, look at those dudes who work for ESPN and NFL Network. None of them currently work for teams, and they don't work for teams because they've missed on players. So, I mean, they all have field players themselves. I mean, exactly. a lot of them have been successful, which I've never fucking stepped foot on a field, so I'm not discrediting them whatsoever. But don't sit here and tell me, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about with evaluating this player. Okay, then why aren't you working for a front office either? Maybe you could, but to be honest with you, and I'm not trying to sound ignorant, cocky, whatever, but I hit on more draft players from being what I do as a hobby and nerd out on completely is watching film fits and those types of things. I hit more than a lot of the analysts do and they get paid for it. So what makes them more qualified than you or I? Because we both agree on a lot of different things. We both have the same philosophy of players, what we look for intangibles, those types of things. And I mean, why couldn't we, if these guys are sitting out here and they can just say what they want on air to get clicks, likes and all that stuff, which a lot of it is generated formidably and, and they do know what they're talking about majority of the time but at the same time it's like you know they're wrong but condemn us for being wrong and vice versa but at the end of the day they're no more knowledgeable than we are they don't know what's going on in that front office nothing's getting leaked to them they're not gonna be the new relying source for somebody exactly and just to go back to what we how you're what you're talking about earlier is the, there's always the dichotomy between drafting what you need and how a player fits into what you do versus drafting the best available player and everyone's board is different 
no one team is going to have the same exact board as another team because certain teams value certain players differently. And you may not be drafting for a need. You might be like, this dude fits exactly what we want on to do, and his ceiling is is through the charts. And there are other players who are just sitting there because of whether it's medical concerns or off-field concerns, whether they have a drug problem or anything yeah. like that, or they beat their wives because we've seen many of those people drop. I mean, you'll find different players, and you're willing to take chances on them. Like, to your comment about the Underwear Olympics, it's exactly what it is, because, I mean, shit, 2009, who was that dude from the Raiders? I think Bruce Campbell or whatever, tears up the combine, runs fast as shit, gets a high vertical right tackle. He's gone in what, two or three years yeah. out of the league. Then you go back to 2018, Orlando Brown Jr., terrible day at the combine. Looked like shit, looked like a fat bastard. And look at him now, two-time Pro Bowler in three years. Looks like he, once, he's a, once he's a free agent, he'll get the bag, or if he goes to another team, he'll get the bag from somebody who really loves him because they think he was a top 15 pick and because of the combine went to the third round, which is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. And teams are stupid for that. Like Raven just sitting there like fat cats. Like, damn, this dude's really sitting here right now. And I mean, I get heat for it a lot too. Like right now, like I'm on the potential train of if Christian Barmore is there at 27, you take him because I'm BPA and I build depth because you have to look at it. Okay. So you take Barmore, everybody's crying. Oh, you didn't take a wide receiver. You didn't take a pass rusher. You're looking at like, a guy that's going to work the middle of your defense and learn from the, the monsters that you can put them in sub packages and limit what their time on the field is, which extends their contract and longevity within your franchise. And then when it's time to go, you got a guy making 3 million a year versus a guy making 15 million a year. So it's, it's all about the future, but also the now and too many fans get caught up in the, we're this position away from a super bowl. That one position is not winning you a Super Bowl. How they click together and how this team revolves around fixing mistakes. I mean, I can tell you right now, it wasn't the lack of a wide receiver or anything last year. It was we got fucked with COVID. We had multiple players missing different times a year, couldn't practice. It's all, everything was a weird year. And then penalties fucking killed us as normal. I mean, we had game-killing drives. We gave up huge leads. Like, that's, that's not a wide receiver away. That's fixing your shit. And then you can get to the Super Bowl. I mean, too many people put the pressure on different things. You get everybody getting all excited about draft picks, all that. Just build your fucking team. Add depth. Fix your don't, – don't even worry about your needs. Your needs are going to come. Exactly. And, I mean, you don't want – just because you need a wide receiver, you don't want to go take fucking Rondale Morris, a midget like that, over a hell of a player like a Christian Bar- Barrymore or a Tre- Avon Maring if he's there. Or say Gregory Russo fall, but you're like, I already have two starting defensive ends. Why am I going to take this dude who I think is a top five player? Why am I not going to take him and take someone who I rate like top 40 or top 50? You don't do that to yourself. You don't draft for need. You draft, you just, you add the best players to your team. Plain and simple. You also make sure they fit with what you want to do and you'll have a plan whenever you bring them in and you make sure they can work that plan. Just like a Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was a, wasn't necessarily a scheme fit for everybody, but the Ravens saw him, they brought him in, they bet on the kid because the kid is a worker. And fast forward three years, he's a league MVP and potentially on his way to becoming the best quarterback in Ravens history. I and mean, he's still only in the kitchen. He still got it. He still can get – that's the thing is, is what's insane about Lamar is he hasn't reached any of his potential yet because Greg Roman does hold him back. I'm anti-Greg Roman, and I have been. 
and he holds him back completely. It's not the flow of the offense. It's not what they want to do schematically. He doesn't take opportunities, and he doesn't know how to call a fucking game. And Harbaugh is, is afraid to get on his buddies. He doesn't. I mean, it's it's been a, a time, the tail of his time. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, precisely. And obviously, we've seen the Ravens fans over the years see the off season, the mid season firings of offensive coordinators, thinking, "Oh, bull! Oh, shit!" Now they got the offense just ready to fucking go because they got a new play caller in there, and it worked once. It didn't work the second time. Though I agree, the, I mean, they should have fired Mark Tressman in the offseason, not after week five against I'm still convinced that the fans got Cam Cameron fired, and I'm so happy about it. I mean, I've never seen an uproar like that. I mean, Matt Cavanaugh got some heat back in the day, but <laughs> Cam Cameron was bad. Tressman was just, I don't even know what that was. I got no words for that. A mistake. <laughs> It was a fucking mistake. That should have never happened. He was good at that connected Dady in there. Fun- he he coaches the West Coast offense, dude. Let's go bring him in. And after we lose Kobiak, dude. Should have <laughs> promoted Rick Dennison. Even though Dennison left to go coach under Gary. I should know. Dennison left to go be the OC, I believe, in Buffalo, if I remember right. But either yeah. way, I mean, you could have, like, yeah. But I mean, you live and you learn. It's not 2015 anymore. It's 2021. So we'll see what comes of it. Favorite receivers in the draft. Who do you like? Because obviously in our in our chats we hear the praising of the holy one, Rashad Bateman, and then some people are in on Terrence, Terrence Marshall. You're a Kadarius Tony guy, and I like that because you're the only one I hear talking about. I'm like, man, Tony, he's, he's a like People are underrated him. People are underestimating him. He's going to fall to a playoff team, and he's going to be the like. It's going to be nuts if he somehow goes to Green Bay with him and Devontae Adams. Watch the fuck out, dude! Like what he can do after the catch and the way that he can flow a defense with his motions. He can work anywhere. He could. He's primarily in the slot, but he can play outside. He can play your Z. So I mean, as far as okay, so you have to specify for me. Who do I think are going to be like the top drafted, or who are my favorite? Who are your favorites? Top drafted shit. You see right. the traffic's coming out about Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. You hear him talk about that already. I'm not interested in that. I'm hearing about who you like. Who are you into? Matter what round? Doesn't matter. First round, third round, seventh round. I could give a fuck. So my top five favorite receivers right now in the draft, one's Jamar Chase. I mean, that's a fucking no-brainer. That guy's a whole nother level. And if he falls anywhere near 10, you got to think about making a move, especially if – I mean, I don't think OBJ gets traded, but if he does, then you're getting that 10 to 15 pick or whatever. you got to really think about moving up again. Um, you know, he's number one. Jalen Waddle, I'm, I'm a big fan of his – um, I think that he people forget about him. It's crazy about how somebody just isn't there for a little bit. You know, he played the, the national championship game and a couple of games last season, but he was really kind of sitting out for the draft too. And it's crazy between him, the, how people just forget how good him and Chase were and are. And it's like it's it's what have you done for me lately? But also when you're that young, it's not really that all the time. So you know, the, I would say he's one. Waddles two, and this isn't like a knock on. These are my favorite guys. Um, Tony is three. I think Tony is a fucking animal. Bateman's four. Um, love Bateman. And then, like, my mid to late round guy, I have this thing for Marquez Stevenson out of Houston. You know, he's more of like a Tony built guy, six foot, 190, 195, but he's big play. 
and he's he's he just he makes things happen. Um, but yeah, those are my five probably favorites. Four of them are potential first rounders. Um, there's other guys that I like a lot, like Tamarian T- Terry from Florida State. Like him a lot. Six five, plays the ball well downfield, gets a lot of separation, uses body and his skills really well. Um, you know, a little bit early. Nico Collins. Nico Collins is right there for me. Um, I would probably say I just like Marquez Devon, but Nico would more than likely be five. And and I mean, what he does, and why they're not talking potential late first rounder. I think he does climb late first, early second, depending on where things fall. Because a lot of those playoff teams are trying to stack offense. They're trying to get young playmakers on a rookie deal with a fifth year option. That thing does come into play. So you look for a lot of teams in the you know from the twenty two to tw- or to thirty two range, looking to add a wide receiver, maybe quote unquote reach on them a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think Chase is a whole other animal. I'm big on the Tony train. You know, I think when he's he's an absolute pit bull when he gets the ball in his hands. And you can talk whatever you want about how you need a guy this big, that big, that does this down the field, whatever. Give me the guy that's gonna catch the football and he's you're gonna have to take three dudes to fight him to get him down. That's gonna be three, four, five chunk yards additional onto the already play itself. So, you know, give me the guy with heart all day, every day. And I think he's got a ton of heart. Most definitely. Catch and get open. Those are the two. Those are the two keys. You can be a burner, run at four two five, four two two, like John Ross. But if you're not a route runner, that speed will fade, and you'll be out of the quick pass in a hurry. Well, what killed me too with him is that whole shit with the whole Senior Bowl, where he dropped that pass. Like people can't drop passes, but people were more focused on he dropped a pass in one on one. Then the nasty fucking route that got him open. He spun that whole that whole DB. That was one of the sickest routes I saw at the entire Senior Bowl. And just because he dropped, be like, oh, he dropped, he can't catch it, dude. They're out there in shorts and a t-shirt. But did you not see the fluidity in his hips, the way he gets in and out of his breaks, his body language, his head tilt, all that shit? No, they don't look at that. They look at the end. Oh, he dropped a pass in, in a one-on-one drill in practice. Look at the intricacies of the game, and I promise you, you will find more about a player. And that's why. I even pinned it on my tweet. You know, kinesiolo- understanding kinesiology of the body is one of the biggest things. I studied in college, understand how the body moves, everything. You have to know what you want for out of a flexibility in a body within a certain position. Somebody gets in and out of breaks like that and acceleration of that, I mean, it's just a whole different breed. Um, he might arguably be one of the better route runners in the draft. And that's key. Speed fades, route running does not. You, the better you get at that and you become a PhD as a route runner, you'll be able to play. So you're 35, 36, 37, like one Steve Smith Sr. did. But I get it. I dig it. I most certainly dig it. But, yeah. Who's yours? Mine. Me, personally, I don't watch too much college football. I ain't going to bullshit you. I ain't going to lie to you. I'll, I'll look up a little bit of things and watch what certain players can or can't do. Every now and again, I'll watch Michigan, though. I won't lie to you. My first, The first college team I ever watched was the Brian Greasy and Charles Woodson led Michigan Wolverines. Yep. And, and though I'm not a fan of a college football team because very casual about the sport, if I had to pick one, I probably would be amazing blue fan. But nonetheless, whenever I would watch them and I was trying to watch Donovan Peoples-Jones, typically it was Nico, Nico Collins getting the, the bulk of the targets back when they are both from the same team. And yeah. Peoples-Jones is nice, but Nico Collins is the one getting it. So, I mean, I wouldn't hate that. Tony looks like Antonio Brown sometimes, or Percy Harvin or Debo Samuel. He runs pissed off. He is, he's bigger than Antonio Brown. Yeah, he's he's six foot straight up, right? He's like six foot one ninety five. I think AB is like 5'11", 185, 190. But yeah, like I'm t- like 
do me a favor tonight. Go watch some Tony highlights. Make me smile. Him, I've, him I've watched. I've watched <laughs> me some Kadarius Tony. He runs pissed off. He yeah, I nap- love it. He has Give a me the dog every day. Exactly. Just like they said in Hustle and Flow, it ain't about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. Bingo. Where's but, Taraji's fine ass at, man? <laughs> right? Oof. You got me thinking impure thoughts with old Taraji P. Henson. <laughs> she's she's, she's from D.C. Hell yes, she is. That's one of the things. But, I mean, right. if it's up to me in the draft, I mean, I wouldn't hate ba- I wouldn't hate Bateman. He fits the role. Well, actually, back when I was trying to watch Tyler Johnson tape, which is why I turned on a Minnesota sta- a Minnesota tape a while back. Tyler Johnson, baby. The guy who was getting consistent, who was getting the rock consistently in that game, in that simple game I watched, that I believe Minnesota lost was Rashad Bateman. So, I mean, know, and and I was huge on Tyler. Tyler Johnson was one of my favorite receivers in last year's draft, as I mentioned during the Bucks postseason run. I was like, feed him the rock. I'm telling you, he's going to be special too, but they keep bringing everybody back in front of him. Um, it's all right. It's all right. AB won't be back. He'll go ahead and play with his cousin in Baltimore. Just, that's Jim, if we sign AB, what that would do with the flexibility of the draft would just be insane, and we'd be set. Right. We'd be set. So long as so long as he doesn't pull any fucking crazy, we'd be good. I don't think he would in our locker room. He didn't last year with the Bucks, and our locker room stronger than the Bucks. Yeah, a lot of personalities in that locker room. He did have some TV twelve to work with too, and he probably yeah. gave him a little bit of the old spice melange treatment, cleaned out his colon, and got that petrified dude to just purify his system, just like in that South Park. But yeah, so I mean. That's all I'm saying. I'm excited. I'm ready for it, dude. I'm ready for this draft. I'm ready for I, I really like I said, I think we do sign a free agent pass rusher this week. Um who Jamar it is, Chase. I don't know, but we'll see. Like you were saying, Jamar Chase is a fucking beast. Through that whole LSU run, he was getting the rock consistently from Joe Burrow. So he's gonna be gone and he'll be gone early. Devontae, he was the best wide receiver on a team with Justin Jefferson and he was a freshman. Exactly. And then <laughs> Obviously, there's Waddle, who's a fucking burner. Devontae Smith, who's a burner. And the funny thing is, whenever I would watch back when they had that quartet of receivers with Tua, then they had Jerry Judy and fucking Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle. Smith was making, like, Smith was, like, open by, like, five or ten yards. And he was, most, he was making a lot of plays along the sideline. So, originally, I thought he was bigger than 170 pounds. Now, Larry, no, he's a tiny ass dude. He he's one of them dudes I worry about. Oh yeah, go ahead and take a post over the middle and then get rocked by fucking Deshaun Elliott. That's not a good thing. Just like with Deshaun Jackson, he gets hit over the middle and he has to miss three games. So I mean, that's one of those things. But yeah, if it's up to me, however the uh, boys, whenever I want somebody, it doesn't work out. Or if I do, if I'm like, we'll see what happens. It usually works out. Like I was more on Trey White than I was Marlon Humphrey. We yeah. drafted Marlon Humphrey, and it worked out. I was like, oh well. They're both pretty good. All right. Yes, they are. Trey White is Trey White right. plays a shitload with a boatload of swagger. I wanted Corey Davis bad too, and Corey Davis was for most of his career was eh, up until this year. So I mean, that's just how it goes. Like Earl Thomas, when we signed him, I was hyped. Mark Ingram, I was indifferent about. But Mark Ingram, I, well, I wasn't indifferent about it. I, that was just a move I kind of saw coming. I was like, all right, cool. It'll work. But 
I was hyped on Earl because he was the next, he was the heir apparent at safety, at the best safety in the league after Ed retired. So I, mean, yeah. I was hyped on that. And obviously, he decided to go tag team some white girl and cheat on his wife with his brother. Weird. Just weird shit, man. But either way, that's, that's, those are my thoughts, essentially. Just whatever happens, happens. I def I would not mind a veteran pass rusher in Justin Houston or Melvin Ingram. I'm more on the Houston train only because he's been more durable. But that's just that's just my thought. And not to mention, you could be durable through your entire career, and all of a sudden you go somewhere else, and you never play it down for him. Yeah, so, I mean, things work. Things happen to work out in funny ways. But as far as I'm concerned, give me Malik Hooker for cheap. Give me Justin Houston for a reasonable price. Call them off season. Draft the best players available. Trayvon Maring, I'd be happy as shit with in the first round. Wouldn't mind Holland later either, although he's strictly just to me a center fielder. Maybe have him come down to play the slot and just cover one on one. But he doesn't really hit from what the little bit that I've seen. He's not really a tone setter in that secondary. Maring will hit. He's that's not his only thing, but he kind of does everything well. He's just not one of those top five dudes, but he's a damn good one. But anywho. Those are my thoughts, and I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Zone 32 Podcast. We will be back. Not exactly sure when, but we're going to be back soon enough. We might wait till the draft. We might not wait till the draft. We'll have to see what comes up with the Ravens' way. But in the meantime, I have a sound effect to make for y'all. See ya! Grant Jake. Zone 32. Only on NeutralZoneInfraction.com. ZI Properties.